Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to the KSL Greenhouse. You can call us right now. Phone lines are open. 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Uh, starting the 10 o'clock hour, talking about uh, these freezing extended temperatures that we've had, Ton. And uh, should we be concerned about anything in our yards? A few things. There are things to be concerned about, but it's more, fortunately, the exception right now than... The general rule we mentioned earlier about Euonymus, evergreen Japanese Euonymus, there's several varieties. They're the same species, but they usually will grow from 6 to 10 feet tall, Mm -hmm. and they have usually variegated leaves, although there are straight green ones out there. Those are deer candy, but they're only hardy down to about 0 to maybe 5 degrees above 0, and if you dropped lower than that, they could have taken some damage. What you're going to see initially is it may not look like it, but over a period of three or four weeks, the leaves, especially on the outer side of the outer edge of the plant, will start to turn brown because they were damaged by the frost. And you would see that in English laurels, autolichens laurels, photinias, and maybe some English boxwood. Mm-hmm. Would you see that already? I mean, you're talking three or four weeks, but... It's really going to be spring when we see this, right? Yeah, a lot of the damage may not show up because we're so cold right now for a few weeks at least. Some of it could be residual damage into spring or maybe even summer to where you had a branch that was 70% killed. But during the spring, water needs aren't as great as in the middle of the summer. And then all of a sudden you see a big portion of the bush or the, the shrub collapse when I say collapse, die because it was severely damaged. And sometimes these frost events, the trees will be perfectly fine for a couple of years. And on the third year down the road, a tree all of a sudden will just die after it blooms in the spring. You cut it open and you find on the previous year's growth that it's all black. 
you know, from a year or two ago because of that frost. And it just took that long for the tree to die. And so areas that you might see tree damage where you would be growing marginally hardy species. So up in the Cache Valley, there are some air quotes here, hardy peaches. They're hardy down to 10 or 15 below zero. And they would include contender, reliance, intrepid. But they got down in areas, the colder areas of the Cache Valley, to 30, 35 below. Miserable. And -hmm. those peaches are probably just dead. And so you want to watch for marginally hardy things. So sometimes the pluots, the apriums, Japanese plums may not be that hardy because of some of the genetics in them, and they could take some damage. But you're really not going to know in a lot of circumstances any time from spring, sometimes even a year or two down the road. But I'm thinking for probably 75 or 80% of the Wasatch Front, zero was where Santa Quinn, Payson, a lot of Spanish Fork was at, or one degree. That's not cold enough to damage a lot of plants, except for maybe really marginally hardy ones. And so your fruit trees, your shade trees, the lawn, your perennials are all most likely going to be just fine. You mentioned those peach trees in the Cache Valley. Um, when you say dead, do you mean the entire tree is going to be dead or that the pe- they won't have peaches this year? You're not talking the whole tree's going to be dead, They're firewood. Right? Um, oh, my goodness. And so we're going to have to wait and see How will because they, know? They, will, they may try to leaf out a little bit, and they are just dead. And so right now, if you know what you're doing, you can cut some of the buds open and see if it's turning brown. But the vast majority of people won't know until spring. And so the critical temperature on peaches is around 15 to 20 below zero. Mm -hmm. The flower buds are killed at about 13 to 15 below zero on the hardy ones, but about that minus 20 is the threshold for most of them. Reliance peaches may make it through, but if you hit minus 30 or minus 35, I think that they're either going to be severely damaged or dead. Now, if you had a lot of snow and the trunk was in the snow, the canopy may be dead, but you could regenerate those trees from growth above the graft and in three or four years reestablish that peach tree. Mm-hmm. It's kind of late to be talking about preventative measures, but it, it is an opportunity to talk about, you know, if you do have some of these marginally hardy plants in your yard, you should think about it for future years. You really should. And, you know, things like the Fotinia bushes and laurels and euonymus, and they're big enough that it's really hard to do anything. Them, you really. can't. And that's why we plant them on east and north exposures against homes, is because the, re- the heat coming off the home will oftentimes protect them. But, you know, you know, you have a pomegranate and people are growing figs. Unfortunately, if they're killed to the ground and but they're established, they will regenerate from the roots. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the more marginally hardy, the worse it's going to be. But I think 85% of her plant material will be just fine. Are you saying my pomegranate might be toast? Well, if it got to zero, probably not. Okay. And you have it in a fairly protected spot. But if you were trying to grow a hardy pomegranate, See, I was in Spring Lake when it got cold, and I was at right near the freeway on a side road, and they were nine below zero. Mm-hmm. 
that would do a lot of damage or kill even a hardy pomegranate. But that going up the hill just like a half mile, two or 300 feet higher than down by the freeway, they were at zero. And especially if those plants are in protected spots, they're highly likely to come through it, although they may have suffered some bud damage. Mm-hmm. This isn't really unusual cold weather or snowy weather for Utah. We have just gotten into this kind of relaxed state where we haven't seen these kinds of temperatures or this much snow for I want to say almost 10 years. Almost 10 years, and we haven't had temperatures like this. I remember growing up that every year it seemed like we got below zero. And so we really focused on hardy peaches. And But Santa Quinn, I've lived down there for 9 or 10 years, and it's this is the first year that we experienced zero-degree weather. And Spring Lake and the like the frost pockets in the area were minus five to minus nine. First time. And a lot of it is due to climate change, which is just a warming climate. But we have been unseasonably and I mean looking at long term averages, it has been very warm for the last twenty years. Is it going to be one of those years where things like snow mold, things like that are going to be more prevalent? With the, I think so, because the ground isn't frozen in a lot of places where you have snow cover. And when the ground is not frozen and you have extended snow cover through late March or early April, those that's breeding ground for snow mold. And so every time we have winters that the ground doesn't freeze, we have lots of snow that doesn't melt off, it usually spells for a bad snow mold here. Okay. We're going to come back with your calls and questions. The phone lines are open. It's a good time to call 801-575-8255. And you can also send us your questions by text at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Our phone lines are open right now. Number to call with your texts, 57500. Next person would like to know, they live in West Valley City, Ton. They have a magnolia tree and a tulip tree, and they're wondering if it got too cold for those. Probably not. The tulip tree is hardy down to at least 10 below zero. Oh. And magnolias are actually fairly cold hardy. It's just that they bloom early and so they get hit by frost. And so both of those are going to be, if it's one of our standard like star or tulip magnolia or the hybrids of those along with a tulip poplar, they're hardy to at least 10 below. And what would they want to watch out for in the spring to know if there had been damage? The flower buds are going to be the least hardy part and the flower buds will open on the magnolias and either be brown and black or have portions that are brown because they were nipped by the frost. But things are still, as we've been cold enough, that things are still in pretty hard dormancy. And so I'm just not as worried as I would have been if we were in mid to late February and this happened. 
Okay, next uh, listener would like to know, how can you extend the lifetime of unused seeds? Can you vacuum pack them with a food storage vacuum system to extend their useful life? Put oxygen packs in there, and yes, you can vacuum pack them, vacuum pack them, and then put them in your freezer. But you need to be able to keep the humidity low in whatever they're packed in because high humidity and cold will ruin them. But if they're dry and cold, then they'll last for a number of years. Uh, Next person says, when do you apply compost to your garden? Anytime's a good time. The primary time is actually in the fall. So it has all winter to do what it's supposed to do. But you, when the snow melts off and as soon as you can till, mm-hmm. sometime in early to mid-April is fine too. Or through the summer, excuse me, if you want to do small amounts, maybe an inch at a time, then you can lightly rake that in and that will work too, about okay. a month apart. Uh, Chris is in Highland, and Chris is wondering what type of pomegranate tree would be best to grow there. Is there one that will grow in Highland? Well, this is relative because you need to be willing to risk that they don't take. But there's three or four hardy types out there. If you get online, there's several Russian um, varieties like Russian 21 and Russian 22 uh, Solovotsky is another one. That's the one you have. I think the Russian 21 ripens in a shorter amount of time. But if you jump on the, um, I believe it is Intermountain uh, Rare Fruit Growers or Utah Rare Fruit Growers web or Facebook page, there are many people on there growing pomegranates. We've had Brandon Park call in a few times. He has several up in Clinton that do well. And I think his are Russian 21. But you can order them online. If you just Google hardy pomegranates, you'll see the varieties come up. Mm. But they need to be planted in areas where they are protected on the south side of a home or so that they don't get too cold, but they get that hot sun because they those pomegranates don't want to ripen until late October. And so you need them as warm as possible. Yeah, mine. I finally got fruit on the tree and it didn't. They didn't ripen in time. I know that crazy little thing. It was so didn't sad. it bloom in July? I actually still have. I think I still have it. Um, it bloomed. Uh, it was later than July. It, it seems to be way behind. Yeah, it's it's mixed up. It's it's confused. Maybe this year will be better for it. Yeah. But now I have to move it. So now I don't know yeah. what's going to happen with the another protected spot. We do have some questions on our Facebook page. Okay. And let's take a look here. So we've got one. Um, oh, we're not going to read about my salty attitude. Uh-oh. Let's see. I think You've been so actually, much better later, yes. lately. <laughs> I know. There was somebody asking about... I think people listen because of your salty medium, attitude. <laughs> yeah, they're putting a smile. Hi, Tana Maria, longtime listener. First time caller, big fan of Ton's salty attitude. There you go. Uh, let's see. Somebody was asking about uh, medium-sized shade trees for Mona. Mm-hmm. And... There's a lot of trees that would be just fine. Mona is kind of a colder zone six or a warm zone five. So they could get away with State Street Maple. That's a great one. They could probably do some of the smaller lindens. Those would be fine if they have access to water. Others they could look at are maybe honey locust. Then a uh, little faster growing if the soil's maybe a bit salty. Something like uh, Sensation Box Elder that's seedless so it won't attract Box elder bugs in. That would be another one they could do. Hmm. So 
What do the temperatures have to be? For example, um, I have this ivy that I've been trying to kill for an entire season. How warm does it have to be before I can spray it again? The ivy needs to be actively growing. Uh, temperatures need to be. It above, always looks like it's yeah. actively growing. So right now it's doing a still little bit cold. because it still holds its leaves. But it when those leaves kind of go from that purpley color back to green mm-hmm. is when you know it's actively growing and you can go after it again. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing about ivy. Don't plant it unless you want to have it around for decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it do, it seems to just want to live on and on and on. Yeah, so that ivy, in a lot of states, has been declared noxious, English ivy. Washington, Oregon, California, a lot of the East Coast states. Here in Utah, because it needs regular water to be able to grow, and because it's not really that cold-hardy, It'll survive in some areas of Logan and warm areas of Cache Valley, but it hasn't gotten loose in our forest because it's too cold. Well, it's one of those things that I had planted because I had these big trees and nothing else would grow underneath them. Now the trees have died and I'm left with... An ivy. Right. And this big mound of ivy that just looks terrible. I would go in and clip the branches five or six inches off the ground, the the little main trunks and then dab concentrated weed killer on those Mm -hmm. and then they'll grow back you'll do that two or three times but that may be more effective than just spraying seriously have one big huge corner of the yard what if i brought in heavy equipment and just dug it all up that way you may still have some sprouts come up isn't that crazy that stuff is yeah where the main plant is coming from if you dug that a couple of feet out in a 18 inches deep, that would probably get rid of most of it. Wow. Okay. So think twice before you actually plant ivy. Yes. Any ivy, Boston ivy, English ivy, Virginia creeper, all of them are very aggressive. The problem is I love them too. They're so pretty. They are. And so if you have areas that you can allow them to go on a fence or a trellis, then they're great. But the other problem is that they glue themselves to buildings using calcium compounds. They literally cement themselves in and you rip those down and it ruins the surface of the brick or cement where they were growing. Yeah. Don't put them on a fence unless it's an old fence that you want to cover up, right? Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.